Bad at Parties is sponsored by Abbey Art Seattle and the Ballard Homestead, music, arts, and community events for people of all ages and incomes. With reoccurring events including the Moth Story Slam, Cathedrals, and The Round, there's always an event when you're in Seattle. Check out Abbey Art's online calendar for intimate performances by many of the artists featured on Bad at Parties. Learn more about this nonprofit organization and how you can attend, volunteer, and host events at fremontabbey.org. Hey gang, this is Andy Zook, and you're listening to Bad at Parties, one-on-one conversations with artists at the corner of the party. Stay awake for this one because Paul Kowalczyk of Sleeping Lessons is on the show. Paul and I first met working together at a venue where I was managing and he was running sound. Man, Paul is such an easy person to talk to, which can be really disarming to the fact that he is a monster of a musician. Now check out Sleeping Lessons, that band, right now on the internet. If you're like me, you'd find that on Bandcamp or Spotify or iTunes, and you'd probably purchase it. And you know what else I'd be doing? I would 100% be going to one of their upcoming shows. Friday, March 17th, they're at the Sunset down in Ballard here in Seattle, Washington. And then the first weekend of April, they're going to be at Fisherman's Village Musical Festival in Everett, Washington. There's going to be a ton of musicians there. Go to that festival. Lots of good stuff, so get them ticks. Okay, I like Paul, so let's get to the talky part of this thing. Paul! It's freezing out. It was supposed to snow. I saw that. It didn't, which I was a little, I was a little bummed about, actually. Yeah. I put on uh, hiking boots because I had to walk around today, and I was like, in case it snows, I'm going to be ready. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you want shoes off? Do you want no, it's totally good. Doesn't bother you? No, that's so polite. That is the question I'm trying to be better at asking when I walk into people's house, and oh, I'm yeah. so bad at it. Well, my parents just drilled it into me, so I'm like... Yeah. I'm, it's a natural inclination, but like Charlie, like Charlie will come into my apartment. He'll never take off his shoes. And I'm like, dude, I, I totally get that. So my family also very much a, a shoes off. It was like a 50% of the house was carpeted. 50% of the house was not carpeted. And my mom was just like, no, nah, just wherever you're going to go, just shoes off. It's mm-hmm. going to be better for everybody. It's just cleaner, I think. It's just cleaner. It's nicer. Um, and it feels like you're at home instead of, like, like you wear shoes outside, and it's like... Yeah. No. I, I totally get that. I like... This is, like, a zero carpet spot, yeah. so I, I feel Not good about it. When we've lived in places before where it's had carpet, it's been like a... I don't love how dirty yeah, it is. Yeah, ex- yeah. I'm not good enough to say, like, I'm good at taking off my own shoes now. Dude. I mean, I don't... Get some coffee. I love this thing, dude. Yeah. It's so cute. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. This is... You read my mind. Yeah? Did you just get up? Um, no, I got up. I actually couldn't sleep. That was the thing. Was oh. like, I woke up at like six. I was just so nervous about this. <laughs> no, I like... I just... Where um, Abby is dog-sitting this place, and the dog decided to sleep like right by my feet, but I feel bad about stirring it, so I... I'll, like, try and, like, kind of get comfortable. Right. And, and, like, we went to go see a show last night, and it was just kind of loud, and my ears are hurting. Yeah. So. I totally get that. Who'd you go see? Temples. I don't know Temples. Temples. Are they around here? Are they traveling? No, no they're on tour, but the um, the band is, they're kind of like, they're, like, kind of Tame Impala, mm. but a little bit more, like, 
little cheesier. Like, I, it wasn't my favorite, but Abby loves the band. Cool. Um, but yeah, it was like, they like they all have the kind of like, like old, like, you know, old Beatles haircuts. Yeah, It's yeah. kind of like cut and everything's dude, dude, straight that's, and they're skinny. I feel like that's the, dedi- like, that's the most dedicated I could be for a band is if I like cut your hair cut for it. Cut my hair for it. Or, like, like, styled it. Yeah, like, anything way. else. Like, I can do anything else. Like, I can wear a weird outfit. But if you cut your hair, that's, like, a 24-7. That's a commitment. Yeah. I'm that's a real con- consistently a part of this band. When I wake up, when I'm taking a shower, well, I'm like, still yeah, a part of it's this such band. A, it's such a persona. Like, that's the thing. Like, playing music over mm-hmm. this time is, like, I've started to realize, like, there's there's the writing aspect of it. And then there's this whole, like, when you get on stage, there's this whole, like, performance thing yeah. that you can't avoid. No, and it's a character. You are. You're totally you're an entertainer. Yeah. You're a character. You you must play a part. And like I think you should play a part. I think that I see a lot of musicians who come out and they are just themselves. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's tight, but your music better be like really Amazing, yeah. damn good. Like if you're going to be that quiet about it, you have to be like Elliot Smith good. Yeah. You know? And like Elliot was like no stage presence whatsoever. Like, no, no. Any video I saw, he's like, "Hi." Yeah, I feel like a modern-day version... Well, Elliot is a modern-day version, but a living modern-day right version would be, like, Laura Veers, who... Have you ever listened to her stuff? She mm-hmm. She's... I think she's out of this area. I might be wrong. But she's really, really great. Kind of hates... Publicity. Publicity hates... Like, is not a big... I don't like performing. I'd rather just be writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she... It's just, like, her music is just... So, mind. so good. It's just like, yeah, you don't need to have like this big stage presence. It would actually, like the ca- and that becomes you its own character. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, and then you become like the kind of your persona is the quiet, mm-hmm. awkward yep. musician. That's and that that in itself is also then becomes kind of like this whole glorified um, character that you can play too. Yeah. It's just funny when people try too hard to do that too. So there's like definitely. Well, know. and I think that that's when you're playing a character that you want to be not who you are mm-hmm. um yeah i i've definitely done that like i've definitely been like okay i'm gonna be this really funny or really outspoken person yeah. or all these different things i've been doing a thing a lot with our band where our drummer really is like is just a great talker he's mm-hmm. got great he stage has presence. good stage presence yeah, yeah. It's, it's fantastic and so like he's got a mic I've just been like, do you want to just do all the talking? I got to tune up a lot. Yeah. And so he'll just talk in between like songs when we're, if we don't have a transition, which we try to always have a transition, but if we don't, if he needs to say something like he does it. So I've literally gotten to the point where I'm zero talking during shows and I love it. That's unusual. That's unusual to not have the front man like not talk. I know. I bet you're like, thanks for coming out to the show or like nothing. Like a zero word. Well, that's quite the persona. I know. Like it's hard. It's hard for me, but I, I kind of... Like, I find, found that, like, after, like, I don't know, maybe, like, a dozen shows of doing it that way, mm-hmm. it's so relaxing. It's so, it makes it so much easier for me to just be the same person on stage as off stage because right. I'm, like, trying to tune and, right. like, make sure I've got the right next song in yeah. mind and yeah. all that stuff. And it's, like, and then also you don't have to have the persona of being, like, the, the front man but not the front man sort of thing. Like, right. not the, the spokesman for the band mm-hmm. necessarily, but just being the lead singer. Yeah. Which is really fun. Yeah, that's cool. And it's kind of like, honestly, playing, being in bands is all about power dynamics and like, 
you know, relationships. They end up being like marriages. Well, the first thing you said when I was like, oh, yeah, this is what it's like walking into a house and, like, you're taking off your shoes. The first example, who's the first example? It's one of your bandmates coming into your home. It is. Yeah. It totally is. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those things. And it's like tiny little... It's little things that you start to, you know, it's like any relationship. You just start to notice little things and, like, their intricate or the idiosyncrasies and, like, little components that make them them. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's funny, I think, to end up seeing, like, um, how that gets distributed when you play in a band. Like, we, you know, I don't know. Are you recording already? I guess I, yes. I was just talking with you. It's okay. good. <laughs> um, well, like, in, in Sleeping Lessons, it's totally, like, um we all sort of feel like frontmen in a mm-hmm. way. Like we all we all feel like we have um, equal, you know, skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Rather than than the echoes is like we there is like that kind of democracy or democratic aspect to it, but mainly like, you know, Colin writes the songs in that band. But here it's kinda like in Sleeping Lessons it's like everyone kinda has this little like part to play in it that mm-hmm. makes them feel important and what's cool about like having your drummer talk is that gives him a sense of importance that absolutely. sometimes backing bands they feel neglected absolutely and so you're like oh yeah well and it's also like I think there's like you look in a relationship and you you try to become the thing that the other per- you think that you're supposed to be in that relationship mm. like you and your first dating someone or mm. you're first married to somebody oh, you're yeah. like oh this is what the role of a boyfriend looks like or this is what the role of a husband looks like, and you uh, you become those things, and because it's not true to yourself, yeah. it's usually pretty shitty. So I yeah. feel like that that's so true. The first band you're in, you're like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be as a front man, and then you're just a total asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's so funny, just on a side, like a side thing, you know, um, the relationships of Abby and I have been dating for like eight months. Yeah, eight, you guys have been together for a little bit. For now. a little bit, yeah, yeah. And, and I would say that she's like my first very real, like, you know, I would, mm-hmm. like, I would do anything for her. Like, I would, you know. Kill a guy. I would kill a guy. I would kill, there's I would no, kill if there's guy. anybody who's dead, like, you never said this, we'll delete the podcast. But, but, but you know. But that's the thing. Barring like, any deaths, But the first one, you're like, I, I literally will do anything for you. I'll walk on fire. Like, you know, and so it's to, not to sound like a shitty person, but the relationships I was in before, I was kind of like. I was kind of happy in them. I didn't really care. Sure. And so I didn't really care about what I was supposed to be as a boyfriend. And so this has been like a really interesting, um, really interesting lesson in figuring out how to be mm. a partner. Yeah. Be a boyfriend. Are you, yeah. are you a only, sibling? You're a sibling, right? Yeah, I have my brother and my sister. Mm-hmm. But so that's the thing is like, and um, I feel like those, the, the relationships, because you said that you didn't, you know, you don't know what to draw from. And I feel like the people that I draw from my parents mm, you know? mm-hmm. like my parents are still together and it's been like what 36 years yeah my sister has a really strong marriage and like and so every time I'm kind of like okay well what should I do you know I, I always think back on like those hmm. not that it has anything to do with music no no, no. I, know, I think it absolutely like, like if you have good examples whereas I think a lot of people when it comes to music their only examples are television or like the little moments where they see someone on stage right. you know that you're not you don't see the the hangout in the band practice space or like the grabbing drinks afterwards right. where you're actually bickering in a healthy manner right, and right. like you're having good disagreements and you're you're working through conflict together well exactly one of one of my favorite podcasts i did was i had aaron who is my drummer on the podcast <laughs> and we literally like we've been friends for super long we played in multiple bands together 
And he got to this point where he asked me about um, why it took me so long to ask him. Because, like, we had been hanging out with some friends, and he had been like, oh, I had said something like, I'm running out of people to ask on the podcast. Mm. And he, like, took offense to that a little bit because he's like, I'm doing music independently yeah. and with you for a long time, like, In different and you're running out of people. I'm, like, right here, dude. Right. And so, like, he brought that up on the podcast, and I loved that because it was such an opportunity to just be like, oh, this is what this looks like regular like we do this all the time this like this is how you, we talk yeah behind you, the scenes yeah you go through conflict mm-hmm. you work it out similar in relationships similar mm-hmm. with your siblings i mean i feel like siblings are the perfect like you most of the time don't do that well like in your mm-hmm. childhood growing up you were just like yeah. you you know pulling hair and, and you take them for granted and, yeah like, they, they annoy you so you don't really feel like that you don't feel the compassion to, to be nice to them. right i think that that's a huge thing in like adult life as like you develop those okay, I can't treat people like that in bands, I can't treat people like that in relationships, hitting that moment where you're like, okay, and it, like, and then it gets back to your family. I feel like it's one of the last targets to hit of, like, okay, I need to treat them with the same respect I treat other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for, uh, if you're talking about families, like, going full circle, it's like, I think it takes, like, a little bit of time away from your parents to realize they're just normal Mm -hmm. folks. Yeah. Or, like, anybody that, you know, you grew up with, like, my sister and my brother, it's like, you have these perceptions of them, you know, my dad is, you know, holier than thou kind Mm -hmm. of figure. He's, you know, he's not just a a guy, he's my dad. So you kind of put him on a pedestal and, and Mm -hmm. you spend, you know, you go to college or, you know, whatever you leave the house. And then over time you kind of, you get to see them from this new perspective. And I think that's kind of what spurns this whole, uh, spurs this, this whole kind of reanalyze, like reanalyzing how you treat them and Mm -hmm. how, you know, how you talk to them. Yeah. Whatever it is, like, and so I think that's, uh, yeah, ultimately I, the most. I was I was literally thinking about that today. It's you know, those weird coincidences that it's literally like that was a conversation I was having with somebody else today, I've and then having, like I've it, been having that lately. Immediately, that yeah. Lately. Isn't that, uh, anyway, so I was talking with somebody about this, this idea of like, um, we only have our own world views, we only have our own universes mm-hmm. to have perspective from, and like, we worked hard to like see things from other people's perspectives, but at the end of the day, like just as you can't truly be in somebody else's universe, they can't be in yours, mm-hmm. and also we have full control over how we choose to see our universe, kind right. of this. You, it can, if you want to view it that way, sure, but if you don't, view it another way. Yeah. Um, similarly, like, your parents, they are these figures that how you inherently view them, z- like, unless you have a sibling, zero other people also <laughs> inherently view them that way. The same it's, way, yeah. It's just your perspective out of billions of people. Right. Like, right. you're you're one of three people out of billions that see that. Right. And similar to, like, when you enter a house and you're like, oh, this is home, and you get that feeling. Like, mm. there's all these different things where it's like, if you want to, like, you have the full ability to choose to see something in a certain light. Yeah. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of practice. It to, takes a to, lot. To learn how to do that. It's like, yeah, I think you have to be, you have to be really mindful mm-hmm. and, uh, you have to really, you have to really pay attention to how your thoughts affect you, mm-hmm. uh, and then be able to sort of choose which ones you're gonna. Because the thing is, you're never you're never gonna not have negative thoughts. You're mm-hmm. never not gonna have, um, you know, kind of like negative views of the world. But I think that the power comes from like when you can when you can accept it and say like, hey, I acknowledge that my brain is making these, but I choose not to you know, mm-hmm. en- enable them or yeah. like, or, you know, progress them or like put, put them out into the world verbally or mm-hmm. otherwise. And so it's like, it's, it, it, 
maybe it's Buddhism, I think, talks about kind of the power of, like, mm-hmm. reality kind of sort of is created by your perception of, mm-hmm. of, of the world. And so, like, the more you kind of focus and think about what you're putting out mentally and what you're choosing to filter into your head, the, the more similar that reality is to your perception. Mm-hmm. I might have gone on. Yeah. No, I think that that's beautiful. I actually, like, when you and I first met, it was because we were both working at the Fremont Abbey. Fremont Abbey? Yeah. Who, so I was doing house managing, you were doing sound tech there, and I mm-hmm. feel like this is something that I've held, like, as a consistent thought in my mind, is that you, like, I think the first time I met you, you were, like, on, as in, like, you were pleasant, you were friendly, you were consistent in how you presented yourself mm-hmm. to, to every single person, and, I like, you bring up mindfulness, and I definitely would say, like, yeah, you've been one of those people who... For the years in which I've known you, I feel like if I see you on the street, if I see you, like, hanging out with friends at, like, a show or something like that, or if we're both working at a place, like, you're consistently, like, here I am in this moment, in this interaction, whether with me or, like, seeing you do that with with bands. Maybe it's, like, you're doing sound for somebody that you don't love their sound, but you're going to treat them the same as the person you're doing sound for who you love their sound. I would hope so. I would yeah. Hope so. That's I think goal. that that is super rare. But the thing is, though, is, like, I will say that, like, th- that's, a, that's a really great compliment. I do appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 makes me feel, it makes me feel like I'm doing something right when I hear, you know, I hear you say that. I think you're doing something right. But I think that the, the truth is, though, that, that there's a double-edged sword because if someone pisses me off, <laughs> they are dead to me. Oh, yeah. You know, like, the, like, of course, there's always, like, a matter of, like, you know, like, hello, pleasantries or whatever, but it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important to re- remember, like, you can be nice to everyone, but also respect your your own value system. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of, like, you know, one thing I learned kind of from my, my family, I feel like, is don't don't just be nice for the sake of being nice. Sure. Because it's... There's uh, good reasons to not be nice. There's, like, hella good reasons to not be nice. And that doesn't mean you nice. have to be super yeah. rude or anything. No. But just, like, just acknowledge the fact that, like, you don't like this thing or you don't like that thing. You know, I think there's, like, a, a big a big thing in our culture that says, like, you're not allowed to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to be rude. You're not allowed to, like, you know, these things that are sort of n- n- associated with, like, um, negative social uh, capabilities or whatever. And, yeah. and, and I think that those are super healthy things to have. It's like, if you don't like something, like, be very vocal about it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, whatever it is. Sure. I don't want to interact with that person. Like, that's okay, too. Hmm. Because then when you want to talk to someone, I feel like it's always so much more genuine. Sure. You know? And I, I think it's the silly thing. You know, we, we definitely, like, teach our kids a lot. Our kids. We have no kids. But people, they're teaching, the people out there, they're teaching their children. <laughs> um, uh, you know, very much in a, in a place of, like, you know, if you don't have something kind to say don't say anything at all. Or at least that's what our generation was brought up with. And I think that there's a strong shift in that because I think that... That shift was Twitter. Yeah, (laughs) dude. Uh, The shifter was our... Right, I think that the the Swift... The the Swift... The pendulum has swung, like, hard to the other side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's this actually great thing that um, RVG has that she's talking about that kind of idea and how, like, you know, it it swings and it consistently swings, but there's... In, in that hard extreme, like, looking forward to, to the hope. I just mm-hmm. saw this video. This is Facebook-level knowledge. Anyways. <laughs> um, but that, that idea is, I think, moving away from, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like, we're teaching the grace. And I think that that's hard to... I don't think that um, there was a lot of upbringing of grace 
in our generation, at least from my own background in school settings or in like other educational settings. I think that that was happening with my family. Seems like it was happening with your family. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like by and large, like those like nuanced details are like a, a detail that comes in in adolescence. And I don't know. I think that. I think your kids are smarter than that, you know? True, I, totally. I, I think kids I, totally kids are have, brilliant, honestly. Kids are really They're smart. Like, if you if you don't talk down to them, you don't treat them like mm-hmm. you don't talk to them like babies, it, it will surprise you how intelligent like my I have um I have a, I have three nieces, but one is uh one is named Olivia and she's the oldest mm. and one of the amazing things about her was like even from like a super young age when she started talking, my sister never like used like a baby talk or anything, mm-hmm. or, like, or if if Olivia ever like lashed out or started yelling, my sister would be really calm and be like, "Use your words, tell me what's bothering you," you yep. know. And really like spoke to her like an adult, and it's just amazing because from a very young age, Olivia would be like, "This is making me unhappy because you're not doing this thing," absolutely, and that that frustrates me. And I'm like, "Whoa, yeah. man! Like that that's hard to do. What you're doing is hard to do yeah. because we got told we everything we got shown like." We learn from modeling. We learn by having what we're supposed to do played out in front of us. Exactly. And when we are interacted with not the accurate modeling mm-hmm. of how we're supposed to be interacted with directly, then we don't learn that. Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't even happen. Well, then it's like a, it's a real tough life of trial and error. Like, if you don't, if you don't figure out those, those social nuances really quick, then you're in for a world of hurt when it comes to, like, your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, re- re- personal relationships in any way. So I think... Most people, if they don't learn it from models, it it they'll eventually learn it just from being like shot down by people sure. over and over again. So, dude, I totally feel that. I think um, that having like I've seen a lot of bands where I'll I'll see a lot of um, guys not come or guys people of any gender, but um, come into those situations where they are you know still living into this. Like I've seen bands be like this and this is how I'm supposed to be rather mm-hmm. than um, I've been around, I've been treated the way I'm supposed to be treated by other people you've been in a lot of bands you feel like just like having those experiences and, and being in a band with a bunch of other people who have also had those types of experience allow you to kind of be on the same page of saying great we can engage with this with emotional maturity do you feel like you had to go through the kind of the adolescence of bands before you could get to so, that connection? So I guess, like, to... I'm to, asking, like, three to, questions. To clarify, <laughs> yeah, to, clar- to clarify, is it sort of, like, the relationship between you and, like, your audience or, like, fans or, like, people that come to your show? I just mean like, your, between, like... Like, inner relationships. Your inner relationships. Between your bandmates. Yeah. I think that that's what I'm asking, because I see you, and I see how you yeah. have this level of connection that I'm like, man, that would be a fun dude to uh, be in a band yeah. with and, like, to hang out with on a day on, like, a pretty regular basis. And I imagine that you hold yourself to a stand where you're saying, I want to be in bandmate, I want to be bandmates with people who are also holding themselves to that stand. To the same level. Of, yeah. I mean, definitely. I, of course, they're I, different than you. Yeah. Yeah, should be. There's, I mean, I've, yeah, I've played in more bands than I can count over the past five years or six years. Mm-hmm. But I like the big difference between some of them that I've that I've really enjoyed being in and some that were kinda like I wish I could sort of forget about was that <laughs> was the was that relationship between the bandmates. Like in sleeping lessons, I mean echoes too, like mm-hmm. we're all best friends. You know, the, like mm. those guys are my best pals and and 
you know, we grow together, grow together and we have all of these difficulties and successes together. And so I think you end up in this position where like you, in order to be a good band, you have to have that relationship or else it, it feels more like you can't make successful art in, mm-hmm. in, in let, you know, no. especially collaborative if art like this. If, if, if you, you don't feel safe. If you don't feel safe, if you don't feel like the people that are that you're playing music with mm-hmm. are musically on the same page or emotionally on the same page. Yeah. Like how many times have you gone to practice and started jamming a song and everyone's kind of like on the same page and you just feel it happening. Absolutely. And it's just rolling and rolling and rolling and then like by the end of it you just made like this this opus that's phenomenal and it yeah. captured something in that particular moment. Yep. But if you don't have those people that are on the same wavelength, it totally destroys Absolutely. the creative outlet. Well, and so much of that, like, if you feel nervous and if you feel hesitant to jump in and add your part, if you don't feel like this will be a safe place to make a mistake, mm-hmm. like, then you won't be willing to make totally. a mistake, which is meaning, means you're going to make pretty boring music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally, I totally have given up the idea of impressing my bandmates by my guitar skills. Like, that I, is so true. Like, you know, don't impress your bandmates. Like, yeah, I've spent, I spent like the first couple of months in like earlier bands, but definitely sleeping lessons to try and be like, okay, this is, I'm going to rock it. I'm going to shred their faces off on this one. Like, right. This looks going to be so good. And, and it, it was always kind of just like, you know, in a, in like when you're dating somebody too, you're like best foot forward, going to show them like what, the, yeah. <laughs> you're going to show them what I'm made of. Yeah. Going to show them that I'm pretty hot shit. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it up. But the thing is when you do that though, then every, every mistake you make at practice where you're supposed to be making mistakes is torturous. Like you'll, you'll be like, fuck, like they, they, they know now. They know <laughs> that I'm not perfect. This is, you know, terrifying. All right. And, and so, you know, over time you sort of get to this point where you're like, nope, I'm just going to, I'm going to explore because you can't, you can't explore without making mistakes. You Absolutely. Know? You have to well, go down the wrong path. And it also doesn't set you up to give, have grace for somebody else. If they try something different and it, you don't like it, mm-hmm. then it's a bad thing if you don't have grace. Whereas if they try something and you don't like it, um, then it's part of the process mm-hmm. if you have that kind of known, reciprocal, like, I've been forgiven, I've tried things out, right. we can talk about this. Like, yeah, the trust. Oh absolutely, my God. 100%. Mm-hmm. And that only comes from, you know, having people that you care for outside of being in a band. Absolutely. I you really, have to give a shit really about do, them. I really do believe yeah. that. Yeah, and you, you have, have to, to say, yeah, and you have to be in a place where you're saying, I care more about the, yeah, I, I just this idea of the people always matter more than the art. And yeah. I, I strongly believe that. Like, if your art is more important than the people, all broken. Uh, yeah, I've all told wrong. I've told them that repeatedly. And like, uh, you know, we all kind of get lost in like the dream of, you know, getting signed or like, mm-hmm. you know, being successful musicians. Sure. You know, I think we there's all, a lot of air quotes around successful yeah, musicians. Successful, whatever yeah. that whatever that means. But like. The thing is, I feel like we say this to each other every once in a while because we'll get all worked up. We're like, oh, you know how, like, sure, all the logistical stuff of being in a band. Uh, you know, like when we released our album, we had to do this tour, like the tour, and then we were talking you about You did those PR. cool cassette tapes. We did the they cassette were really tapes. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was Swoon Records, by the way. The made Future Ghost, hashtag, what was it? Swoon Records. Swoon. Down in, down in Tacoma. Ooh, yeah. Tight. It's, uh, really cool little short run if you want to do them. He's. Uh, He's just rad. He super cheap. Yeah. And good product and like my, great turnaround time. My big thing that I'm hitting up right now is I've used him like three times is black belt mastering. Mm-hmm. Everybody uses black belt mastering in Seattle. But Levi over there, he like 
been doing it himself. He now does, like, vinyl cutting there mm-hmm. as well. But it's, like, so cheap. You can sit in on the sessions. That's it's, so like, cool. turnaround time is, like, no time at all. And he always responds to emails. And I just emailed him again on Saturday, and I got two emails back, like, back, back, like, back and forth, back and forth yeah. on the weekend. Just and like, that's, and we live, come on. We live in, su- I, like, we we're live so lucky. such a fruitful music community. There's, you know, endless engineers here, endless musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go see music, all kinds of music, any day of the week. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the arts community is so, it's, it's such a beautiful flower in Seattle. Like, I can't imagine being in, like, Tulsa. No. And, like having the same experience. Yeah. Not be, Tulsa. Be, bad. No, not nothing wrong with Tulsa. Who's so, got a problem with Tulsa? No one. No one does. No. So you guys are doing all the stuff. You're getting worked up around these ideas. Oh, when yeah. You're okay. Yeah. So that was, that mm-hmm. was, yeah. So we have all these things that we're trying to do that's the, the, the business aspect, being the agent, being the promoter, being the PR mm-hmm. uh, person that you sometimes forget that the most important thing is being a band and mm-hmm. the, having a successful relationship in that way. And like, and so what I'll remind them is like, Hey, no matter what kind of air quote success we have, (laughs) you know, don't forget that the most important thing is, and and maybe we don't become successful at all. Like that's the thing. This is no guarantee. There's no guarantee. We're we're just throwing the dice. Exactly. So ultimately the, the only thing that you can really care about is spending time with those people and making good art. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two things you can care about when it comes to music. Because if you're, if you're so focused on where your band is going to land or how, you know, how it's going to be perceived by anybody else, you're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I remember you and I, we were, we worked pretty close to each other and you and I were just like walking around the street and like ran into each other and we're talking. Um, and you were, it was, must've been a bit ago. Like, I think it was actually right when Sleeping Lessons was getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were telling me a bit about like, we're, we're pushing really hard for this. This is like, we're going for it mm-hmm. on this. I, I think you use the language like we're going for it. Yeah. Like we're trying to make this happen um, and just kind of saying like we're going to see how far we can possibly go with this. Yeah. And I've seen you actually live into that and the record you guys put out last year, like definitely I was like, oh, yep, they're doing it. It's super fucking tight. It's really, really great. Thank you. Yeah. And I think like what's hard is like when you put that concept in your minds when you say, no, we're actually, we're actually going for it. And I've got three other people who are all on the same page mm-hmm. and say, we have talked about what does that mean? And we've all said, yep, we're behind it. Yeah. Here we go. We're and dedicating our resources of time, of financial resources exactly. or whatever that means. It means putting that weight behind it. Exactly. Um, you are now, and inv- you have other people that have deeply invested into you as well. Yeah, hopefully, the- I mean, hopefully it translates well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the dream is if you give a shit about something, then other people will mm-hmm. see that and appreciate uh, that themselves. But it's like, I mean, when we talked, it was kind of like, I think that maybe some bands or some people in bands don't quite... You sort of live in a bubble. You you don't. You kind of always imagine yourself being successful at something, but you always you kind of go into it not quite knowing what it really takes to get into it. And I think mm. one of the benefits of being in a lot of bands, right. like doing this for a long time, is you kind of end up knowing what the industry, what that means, what it means to 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 have any kind of clout or mm-hmm. like you know relative success in music. And you know, I can, I can, I can put on my hands how, how many things there are you know it's like mm-hmm. first and foremost good content you, like you're if you're a shit band and you have mm-hmm. shit music 
It doesn't matter how good your PR is. It doesn't matter how good your artwork is. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Your music sucks. No one wants to listen to it. Yeah. That's and even just... if you have, like, somebody investing a lot of money behind it, it's not going to last. Exactly. Like, it has no longevity. It can't make it more than maybe especially, a year or something yeah, like that. Yeah, especially in this, like, in how much music, you know, it's just like... Yeah, there's no time. It's overwhelming. So mm-hmm. if you want to make a good piece of art that lasts, you think like radio. It starts with the, good, like, the art being good, yeah. Yeah, and so that's it, you know, that... Um, it's so making good music, which would be like practicing a lot, practicing mm-hmm. a lot, spending a lot of time writing songs, yeah. paying attention. Um, then the other thing is, if you want to actually get successful at music, I think that you have to tour. I don't think I know that you have to tour. Mm-hmm. You'll just touring is one of the most the most basic components, and like musicians have been doing it for years and years and years and years and years, and you just can't stay in Seattle. Mm-mm. And expect to like blow up. I mean, every once in a while, yeah. it'll happen. You have to you're have lucky. you have to prove roadworth. And also, if your whatever your idea of success is, success can be in a lot of different things. But if your idea of success involves any dollar signs, if it involves anybody else investing more dollar signs and money, or or that's the same thing, or time into mm-hmm. you, or their their resources into you, that's because they know that there's a return on that investment and where that money comes from is on the road. Records, sales, that doesn't make money. Like people coming out to shows and buying drinks and then like also buying other merch like shirts and things like that, that's where that happens. Exactly. It it doesn't happen by buying your thing on iTunes. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's It's part of the equation, but it's... like We we have, I think we have like upwards to like... uh, I'll just throw out some Spotify numbers here. So... um, the that the music video that we just put out yes. for ninety five right so the mm-hmm. song that went with it was nineteen ninety five and on Spotify um, that one has ten thousand plays right now and I got the check from you know the right the, the royalties for that ended up being like like Less, I think like, like seven dollars yeah like, it was like it was it it it, it just like it was mind blowing because it must have been you know over the course of four months like 10,000 people listen to it or something like that and then seven dollars comes back you're like okay I'm not I'm not going to be making money off no of that's this not how you make anytime money. soon nope I mean I was I was reading this article because I like I subscribe to a lot of blogs from like different industry places and some of them are crap and just trying to sell you and some of them are really good yeah, yeah. um the DIY musician is like a really good blog and they'll have stuff content that they'll put out every now and then um and one thing that like, I don't know if it was them or somebody else. It probably wasn't them. But somebody put out this really great blog where they were talking about what it would take um, for you, for a single, like a single performer band. So like one person in this act to make as much money as anybody working at Spotify. And you would yeah. have to have like some like, like m- m- multiple billions of plays per year. Right. To get close to it, right? Like yeah. it, it was something like sixty billion plays. It, it is. It's ludicrous. Yeah. Like, and honestly, I I have to say that like I I appreciate the fact that the music is so accessible and mm-hmm. having you know the opportunity to like put your for free put your music online and people can just access it whenever they want and you know like Spotify does a pretty cool job of like doing playlists and right. stuff like it's that. It's how I like, engage. With yeah. music, yeah. as an individual, as a consumer, 
it's my preferred method yeah. of engaging with music. Yeah, well, okay, so David Bazan actually came out with a new record right. last last year. and Was it the Blanca? Blanca, yeah. yeah. He just put out another one. Yeah, so no, like, I know. Oh, my I God, s- I can't even fucking keep up on I saw guy. him at Cafe Racer because he <sighs> did that Cafe Racer show. Yes, you went to that? I went to it. That's cool. It was amazing. I mean, you know, I, I have a very healthy respect for David, but he, uh, I was, like, standing right there, and I just... I thought it was going to be... I came, like, three hours early because I was like, there's going to be a line out the door. Like, yeah. people are going to be waiting. And it was, like, so hush-hush that there was, you know... It was, like... It was full, but it wasn't, you know... It, it wasn't, wasn't, like, a like, line out the door waiting. Right. Anyway, so, okay, so Blanco That's came out. Crazy. And the last the last track on there is actually him and John Roderick mm-hmm. doing a podcast. Yep. Right? And they're talking about Spotify and using that. And one of the things that Dave said that was really interesting, he's like, honestly... It, it, it gives an opportunity for people who would never otherwise hear my music a, a place to listen to it. And mm-hmm. you can go and listen to a bunch of different songs and pick which one's your favorite, and then that gives you an opportunity to go and buy the record. Sure. Which is so hard because, like, in that very same album, he has the song Oblivion, where he's, like, talking about still not making enough to, like... Right. And yeah. feeling like... Like, just, like, this set, lot sense of helplessness. Yeah. Your you kids know, are growing up right. and you still don't make enough. Dude, yeah. I, it's so heavy. And, like, he... And that's the album where he put that stuff onto Spotify. Like, right. before that, it wasn't out there. There was a lot... Like, yeah. he had... He put a couple of those... he was doing the monthly thing. Yeah, he was, he was doing, doing it on SoundCloud. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just, like... You're equal parts acknowledging the, how badly this treats you mm-hmm. and engaging in it. Right. Because of the truth of the of the content. Right. And well and so I you also have to just kind of play ball with the industry. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like there's of course there's always gonna be exceptions to people who want who like are just for one reason or another they blow up against all odds you know, but doing exactly the opposite of what a band should normally do. But for the most part it's like if you wanna if you wanna be in the industry of music, you have to make certain concessions mm-hmm. and like admit that you know you have to do these certain things to become uh, a player in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's of course there's you know off the top of my head I can think of a couple too that that have done it all DIY and like yeah and just grassroots. Yeah, as soon as it. you find a rule, someone's gonna break it. Like someone's gonna find a way yeah. around it and do something really creative, which like awesome. But there's no way to know that how that's gonna turn out. It just it's big risks. Yeah. It's taking chances. Mm-hmm. It's looking at something and seeing something a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you guys, kind of back to the original question that sparked this, which yes. I was really tight. Um, so you guys are investing more in this. You guys are taking this chance. You guys are looking at success. And I'm saying, I'm imagining that the things that you're describing are your concept of success. So again, universes can look a lot of different ways. In your your guys' universe, what you kind of mutually agreed on when you're saying sleeping lessons, being successful, looks like being financially successful. Like where I can pay for my apartment. Yeah. That's the thing is I'm not, I don't necessarily, I'm not a person who wants to get rich. I just, I don't really, I just don't give a shit about that. I, Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, the rich man make it into heaven, you know, like through the eye of the needle, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, I don't really necessarily search for that, but I think that there's a certain amount of like, I equate success in music if I've made good music and then I can pay for my apartment. Sure. Something that self-perpetuates. 
yeah. something that allows you the stability and to continue. And allows me to continue making Absolutely. art. You know, like you can be a musician and an artist and have a day job. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, that's a certain amount. Over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And me too. Like, yeah. I, you know, yeah, I do. You. I yeah. work. You work a lot. I don't I'm, even know <laughs> where you work because I'll walk into so, so many buildings around where we work. And I'm like, Paul, you work here as well? Yeah. I should get a zip line to just take me from building <laughs> yeah, to building. Yeah. I assume that it's every corner of that block. Yeah. yeah. Basically it yeah. is. <laughs> and, yeah. And so it's more like I work, I, you know, I work all the time. Yeah, so I by no means am like that t- like typical uh, success. So yet, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. But the, like, but the thing is like, even though I don't necessarily actively search for like great monetary reward for being in a band, I do want to be able to like, I want to be able to pay for my rent and pay for, you know, sure. whatever it is. Well, that's and recognizing then like, like you're in your early, mid twenties, 27, 27. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're, we're at the same age. So you're, you're at your late, we're in our late mid twenties, whatever. And he just says that because you can grow a beard better right. than I can. <laughs> and so I, I will just, I will always look younger. Yeah, we're the same true. age, you'll always I'm look sorry. younger than me. No, that's... Uh, if I shave it, I'll look um, stupid. I'll, I'll just look you'll, stupid. You'll be able to get into, you'll be able to get into movies with not, a youth. It's true. I have not, ticket. I have not had no beard. I was asked this the other day. I haven't had a, gone without a beard since before I got married. So I'm talking like four, four or five years really? now. I haven't had no beard. Just. Part of me, not, not a beard. Yeah, yeah, not a beard. That's I, what I call I mean, it. If I could, if I could get <laughs> all the filled, I would too. I, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. But that's yeah. me because I can't have it. Right, so it's I'm just like, the desire. No, it is the coolest. To... You're looking at the coolest thing in the world right now. <laughs> um, but oh, what were you just saying? It was that idea of like, I'm just what success means for the mm-hmm. band. You know? Yeah, and we, and so I think all of us are on the same page that like it started out with we're never going to limit ourselves with like opportunities or whatever, but we, we also know that like, these are the the first goals that we have. And then when we talked about how much we were going to invest into it, we have all made concessions Mm. in our lives in order to accomplish this. Like Mm -hmm. we've all put in a ton of money for this, put in a lot of time. Like we practice three or four times a week, Mm -hmm. you know, because we believe that there's certain things you have to do. We like, we believe in going on tour on Mm -hmm. a regular basis because that's how you build markets. And, and so there are these things that like make, uh, make life harder because you're so invested in this thing. This is what I was going to say about that is, and you're recognizing you're 27 and at this stage in life, you have, the flexibility, you have the capacity of energy, of, like, um, the not need to be, like, investing monetary into, like, other, you don't, aren't having to stuff the cash into a sock under the bed right now. Exactly. Which is really a terrible investment strategy. No one should follow that up. Future ghosts, please don't do that. (laughs) Um, but, like, you have the capacity to do that, and so you can bust your ass, and you should be busting your ass at that time, because it's going to be a lot harder to bust your ass in 10, 20 years, not saying that you can't. You have kids, you have a mortgage, like, sure. you just can't gamble as much. You can't. Here, that... I can, like, not work. Sure. And then, you know, if the worst case scenario, I'll live under a bridge, because I don't care. Mm. You know, like, it, you know, whatever it is, like, sure. I can I can roll the dice much more easily. Than... Right, and the problem, and, like, you can always do that, and the thing is that, like, okay, you go back to someone like David Bazan. He has a good market figured out. He's been busting his ass for a long-ass time, and he has made it work really well. And it's still hard. And he is still rolling the dice. And what I see, and that that concept that's so terrifying for him, is he knows, and those musicians know, 
how great the how widespread the impact is yeah. if the dice come up not in his favor, you know? Yeah. Like, well, right now, if the dice come up not in your favor, you've probably got some family safety net, and it doesn't affect that many people. Right. Like, it affects your bandmates, and yeah. that's more of a bummer than anything yeah, it's, else. Yeah, it's an inconvenience. It's an best. inconvenience, really not a... Not a crisis. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like a, holy shit, what am I going to sell no. tomorrow to pay for food for my kids? You know, it's not one of those things. But I can't I can't speak for what, how, like, David, like, how he chose to do stuff. Because mm-hmm. obviously, I, you know, I don't know him. Right. So no. It's hard. But I he's a character say, in my mind still. Uh, yeah. I would love for him to be a real person, but he's uh, still a character. By the way, I got to talk to him for a little bit. Cool. He's just the most down-to-earth dude. So cool. Like, I legitimately just want to be friends with him. Sure. And, you know, a lot of people who feel like they're starstruck or something, like, I, that's the thing is, David's never people been, are like, people. a celebrity to me. He's, yeah. like, one of those things, it's like, I just want to be your friend. Like, you're a very cool dude. Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, I feel like, for David, he probably had opportunities, you know, coming out of his nose to sign a record deal. Mm-hmm. And have that be a consistent thing. But I think he also kind of chose, he chose to make his own path as a musician and in the industry mm-hmm. like he does a lot of living room shows mm-hmm. and y- you know how brilliant that is he doesn't have to pay for a room fee no it's and people come out sell out other people the, that are houses completely different sound but very similar like exactly the same model is Rocky Vadaletto. he's been Vallelo, doing exactly right. the same thing for about the same amount of time right um, completely different sound completely different vibe that he's giving off but like has just found his market and like dedicated to that yeah you know and and it works it works because once you have that fan base like you know from page of the lion all the way like you've got what 16 16 years of more than that maybe what 2018 years of yeah of playing music that he's done he's built up his fan base where he can go and just be like hey i'm gonna play a house and people are so stoked to see him that they will go to a house pay to see him and sure and he's got and also, you know, I think part of that is being, you know, he's really smart about the way he set it up. If you, I've looked at, like, what does it look like to, to set up a house thing mm-hmm. before? Like, in Seattle, like, he's got plenty of houses. But yeah, I still yeah. looked at it, and it's like, oh, you have all these rules, you have all of these regulations oh, yeah. and how it's done. It's because you're saying, like, look, you don't know how to do this. I know how to do this, so let me help you do this correctly. Right. And I think, um, so the last guest that we have in here is a, a good friend of mine, um, Blake DeGraw, and he does a lot of really 21st century avant-garde composition stuff, and cool. he talks a lot about, like, engaging his audiences and making them not just a an observer, but making them a participant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, like, say, like, look, I'm not disrespecting you, but let me show you how to do this right, because you don't know how to do this right. And that's right. okay, because this isn't your job, it's my job. Right. And I think that that's so important. I see musicians doing that with, like, lyric videos to teach their audiences how to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see see it done often enough. I want to see more people, like, figuring out cool ways to say, like, hey, come to my show and don't just stand there. Yeah. yeah. Like, here's what you can do. Here's how to be in the more audience. Engaged, Here, yeah, whether engaged, it's like... whether it's preparing them or doing something in the moment. I exactly. feel like... Yeah, I just, I don't know. And this isn't like a, but here's a good example. I just want to see it happening Yeah, more. no, I totally know what you mean. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, the more that you get to, like, create a connection with the audience and, and, and share in more ways than one, uh, 
your experiences, like, you know, music, musical experience, like, the better it is. The better the mm-hmm. show is going to be, yeah. you know? Like, the intimacy of playing a house is... Sure. Yeah. Question responses. There's a perfect example. Yeah. Like, Dave does that. Rocky yeah. does that. Like, it's talking points. Yeah, totally. Talking, to- I mean, talking to the bands. Like, I, I also, I respect a lot of bands who, um, who don't talk mm-hmm. go right through their set. I totally get it. We actually do... We, we try and do that pretty much fairly, too, because we have, like, a very strict 45-minute set, so... Sure. Not a lot of room for talking. No, and I think it's kind of... And it's sort of like an experience. Like, yeah. you go and you hear the whole the whole set from beginning to end, and I think it, it, it just makes it more fulfilling. And also, like, the Echoes used to talk a lot, so... This, sure. The this pendulum like, swings back. Yeah, we yeah. wanted to, like, not do that at all. I think one thing that's nice about yours, though, um, what you're doing right now with Sleeping Lessons... Um, which is doesn't put me to sleep at all. So um, just point. Sort there. of the opposite. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite. This, don't don't listen uh, to this when you're about. To yeah, don't uh, sleeping lesson number one. Don't listen to this before going to bed. Um, it's too fun. The like you guys, I think that there's like this. There's a little bit of like dream pop in the way that you're kind of mm-hmm. creating like this ambiance, but like you're using silence really well, which I think is far underdone in that kind of genre, um, and like. You have, like, really um, good, like, you're creating really great guitar licks that you're doing to, like, support the parts and, like, that are really easy to latch onto. And I think that those are the pieces where it feels like um, you're drawing from maybe, like, I don't know, some of that rock and roll stuff that, like, that, like, kind of early 2000s, like, licks. Oh, yeah. There's some built-to-spill bands. Oh, yeah. but there's also like Johnny Greenwood kind of mm-hmm. like stuff. Like this, like obviously you uh, inspirations to all over the place, but like Built to Spill definitely has always been a big influence. I think if you listen to dude, I saw them playing. You're like, I saw them play one show. It was like a free outdoor concert. It was so fucking. Was good. it was a, it was that um, it was in Ballard. Uh, or no, mm-hmm. where was it? I it saw was, that show. Taco did, Cat opened up right. It was like three years ago. No, no, no. This oh, okay. was another one. They were playing down um, at. They were having this thing down in. Um, oh man, what's that district? It's south of like Soto. It starts with a G. I'm totally blanking. South of South of. Uh, <laughs> Shoot, um, but it's a Legion Brewery put on this big thing. Talking about Georgetown? Yes, Georgetown. Georgetown. I was just blanking on like, this <laughs> super big area that oh, I've been to every a day lot. of my life. Do that all, the time. all the time. Anyways, batter parties, cool. Um, so it was in it was in Georgetown. It was a Legion Brewery. They mm. put that on. It was a bunch of outdoor concerts, and they played it. And like cool. Father, I think actually Father John Misty opened for them. <sighs> so it was like time. it was pretty all over the place. It was like right when he started. So this was must have been a few years back. When right when he left. Right when he left yeah, Fleet like, Boxes? Yeah. Well, it was right after he put out the first album. Gotcha. So it was still pretty early on, but not, like, the very, very beginning. But they played, and I was just like, dude, this slacker rock, like, this is this is where it's at. I yeah. really dig this. And I hadn't listened to them much, and that was just like a, yep, digging into this song now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely, you, if I started, you know, Death Cab when I was in, like, middle school. Yeah. So... You listen to enough Death Cab, and you're like, "Well, I wonder what inspired Death Cab," mm-hmm. you know. And so there's a like a lot of, a lot of built to spill, a lot of pavement, a lot of, obviously like even earlier. And then the Smiths, like there's all kinds of, all kinds of inspirations that, you, your favorite band then leads you to these mm-hmm. other great finds. And so that was kind of where it where it came from for me. Is like, oh, I was like, I like this band, and now I like this band because. Mm-hmm. There's sort of this offshoot of it. Yeah, almost. and I totally, you know, and then it continues down the path. It's yeah, influencing yeah. you right now. And, like, I totally hear that. And those are the things that, for me, 
I'm really latching on to right now. I really latch on to, like, what's the secondary melody happening in a song? Is that, and that, I feel, is, like, one of my most engaging points in music. Like, is the voice good? Yes. Is, are the lyrics interesting? Yes. But, yeah. like, is that second guitar line or that second, like, key line, like, where yeah, is that Yeah, now at? you're hitting the nail on the nose. That's one of the things, like, the, the, every band, every member of the band has all these really unique uh, things to add. Like, Dan is... First of all, I don't know. Like, I don't know every drummer in Seattle, but I'm gonna say like with a, a soft certainty that he is the best drummer. He's a that I damn, know. He, I mean, your album he, like it has like really good drumming. He's, it's really it's, it's un it's unreal. Like I am blown away every time I see him play. He's just so good. Mm-hmm. And so th- just having that rock right there come up with these very melodic drum. Yep. Uh, drum fills and like and, and beats and stuff like that. It it gives you the opportunity to say like, okay, I don't need to always be super engaging Absolutely. because there's this other component going. Right. It's not just filling space. It's not just holding the rhythm. Yeah. It's it's a part that's dynamic. Yeah. And it's carrying its own weight. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. And so I was, uh, the thing is like Dan lays it down, but then Terrence, uh, he played in this other band called Don't Talk to the Cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like a b-boy kind of like dance music. So you have this band where you have this really dynamic drummer and you have this bassist who like comes up with the sickest bass stuff. And and what he does there is it's that space that you're talking about where he like he knows that he doesn't always have to be playing. Mm-hmm. He'll like fill in these moments with like this kind of like almost funky but like mm-hmm. It just it's more more dynamic and more melodic than just like you know e e e e yeah e, a, a, in a, a town a, full e, of just white boys playing the root like yeah exactly yeah. he really gets down mm-hmm. like he really puts some soul into it and so that's like right there if you have a band that has that locked down then I feel like you're really in good shape like mm-hmm. I'm so lucky to yeah have, you know and Charlie just you are they're really yeah, tight yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I oh I know I, I I thank the good Lord every day but Charlie like. <laughs> Charlie's the final piece in that, you know, like I'm I'll reserve from ever saying what I contribute to anything ever. Sure. But I'll Charlie, say I've been I've been <laughs> saying it. I've been saying all these things. So you can say what Charlie does. Yeah. Charlie just Charlie lays down like great guitar lines. Mm-hmm. Really he and his vocals are great. Um and he does he's sort of like the opposite of what I am for guitar. Mm. So he I don't want to say sloppy because that sounds like a like a, a negative mm, thing, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's more like the kind of classic. It's relaxed. Classic rock and roll. It's mm-hmm. like it's more like instead of picking single notes, it's more like just like strumming a solo. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It gives you the full body. Yeah. Yeah. And it's f- kind of more slap, straight or like slap picking, like yeah. where you're playing like the full thing and you're you're hitting hard on a single note again. Exactly. Elliot Smith style. If you have that on acoustic stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So then, it, him being able to counterbalance, like you know, I, I could go on and on about the dudes and how how brilliant they are in, in their own ways. Um, but it's just, it's great in particular with with uh, guitar for me. is like when I'm writing my lines, I can always kind of rest assured that Charlie's going to be there on the other side of the spectrum, kind of mm-hmm. covering what I'm not doing. Because I feel like I'm a very technical, um, like, I'm like very specific. Like uh, mm-hmm. it's, it takes a lot for me to kind of just let loose and let the guitar kind of sound... Um, Wild, right? I'm like I pick my notes mm-hmm. very delicately, and like, and and everything sort of has to have like this perfect place for it. And Charlie's like, 
nope, fuck it. Like, I'm going for it, right. man. Woo! Right, like, which is tight. Really it gives wailing. it really good energy. Yeah. It gives it good energy, but then what I was saying again is, like, there's stuff that I can grab onto. Yeah, mm-hmm. drink the rest of the coffee. Um, I mean, it just gives me, like, having something that I can really latch onto and say, like, oh, there's that part, and then hearing it again later as a more developed line, so you're gradually developing... Uh, a melody and there's counterpoint involved in it whether you're thinking about that articulately or you're saying no I'm just going to foreshadow this part that's going to happen in the bridge and then later on it's going to come back in like those things are happening which for me as a musician is satisfying to listen to the second time the third time the fourth time which is yeah I mean that's so that's the like one of the other great components about the band is like Dan not only an amazing drummer but an amazing pianist too Mm -hmm. like really just and actually a really amazing guitarist too so it, he has this really strong background in in jazz and actual composition and mm-hmm. music theory. So yeah. you know we can and me too. Like I, I did I did music theory mm-hmm. all the way. You know in you know we all did our band stuff. But yeah. that and then went to college. I did music theory and like was in jazz band and and so I always practiced my scales and like mm-hmm. that. Like I was very very specific on learning keys and, and structure and like how to how to change from, you know, if you're going from a G to a C, like how to use pivot points, like mm-hmm. all kinds of different stuff that like were the technical necessities of music theory. Mm-hmm. And so Dan and I have that that component, but Terrence and Terrence and Charlie, not that they don't know it, I, I don't think I've ever talked to them about it, but they're more just kind of It's like just not their first feel. language. It's yeah. more by feel. And so it that also makes a really, really sweet, balance mm-hmm. when, I, when I think about that is anytime again trying to impress you know like anytime that you're saying like oh you don't like there's I've definitely been in, like played in musical situations with people who have a really strong theory and they're like oh it's a one four six and, and we're gonna go through this and then we're gonna do the change right yeah. here and it's just like that's fine that's I mean I know those things but I'm gonna take a second longer to think about that yeah. because I'm a vocalist and I play like improvisational piano yeah. and I'm not used to yeah. doing that with people but like I play guitar as well and mm-hmm. I'm it was like I just that's not my language but my drummer like his background is in piano as well he did composition as mm-hmm. well and like that's very much like when we're sitting down we're playing parts and we're trying to think up something he'll be like oh you should go to the four right there because it's this it's holding the same space as this and you've got this aversion and right and he's the one typically jumping in to first suggest an idea because he's a he's got a great internal melody like he can really hold something in his mind while creating another part uh-huh. but he also just speaks that language really well yeah um and so he knows kind of the guidelines yeah and and for me like like, if I was just, like, to be embarrassed because I wasn't, like, picking up at that as quickly or for him to be, like, overly proud because of that would create this terrible power dynamic. Yeah. But he's just so, like, it's the four. I'm, like, okay, and we're in. He's, like, we're in B minor. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'll help me out. Like, he'll talk through it, and he's never, like, rude about it. It's yeah, just well, so I mean, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to, especially, no. like, going back to the relationship thing. Like, if you're using that as a way to hold, you know, over hold over someone's head or like as if that's better it's not like honestly music theory is a double-edged sword like I honestly believe that it's helped me in a ton of ways but it's also restricted me in a lot of ways like Mm -hmm. I remember when I was first learning guitar I was like you know 11 12 years old and just picking it up and playing it that in itself was there was like this this like mystery you know you're like Mm -hmm. you don't know what to what to do you don't know the the path to go down so instead you're just you're doing all this trial and error and you're Mm -hmm. really just doing like a heuristic approach towards 
learning how to play the guitar. And mm. so every possibility is open to you and you can you can try anything you can experiment but now with music theory like always like this little voice in the back of my head i'm like oh you can't do like you can't play that note right absolutely when so, it's like that's not true you can play anything i you had want, but i had that exact thing last night like i was hanging out with heather and uh, heather and we were like sitting around and i was just kind of playing guitar and she's like i'm gonna go to sleep and i was like oh it's okay i'll stop and she's like no it won't bother me and i was like no i'm getting like mad mm-hmm. i like have to stop because i'm too I'm not, like, chilled out enough right now to let it go. Like, I'm just stuck on, like, no, that's a boring thing. It's very easy to figure out what you're doing right now. Right. And I just have to be like, okay. Like, I have to be in a place where I'm relaxed and comfortable and able to kind of get the extra voices of, well, is that complex enough? Is that smart enough? Is mm-hmm. that clever enough? Is that catchy enough? And just, like, get to that place where I've, I've got all of these articulate voices removed and again, like, that's just that universe. Like, can you choose that universe in which you can just enter into that space? Yeah. Yeah. It's totally, uh, <laughs> that's one of the things that I've actually been kind of dealing with the past couple mm-hmm. of months is, like, a, music for me has always been, like, uh, lyrics, first of all. Mm-hmm. Like, lyrics and then, you know, melody on top of that. It's just kind of where my ear goes to is mm-hmm. always that order. And and Charlie's Charlie's less like that. Charlie like feels more like melody or like s- the feel of the song, and mm-hmm. then the lyrics are mm-hmm. secondary. But so um, I I feel like because I put such a focus on that, that I also put a real focus on, um, or I didn't put a focus on how I was like emotionally conveying stuff. And mm. I feel like when you when you play music, if you're not in a space where you're honest with the way that you're communicating it, mm-hmm. like it then it sounds contrived. You yeah. Know? And so you could write the most boring, the most boring guitar line. You could just do like a one five one, which is what most people do anyways. But yeah. but if you sing the most heart wrenching, you know, l- lyrics with like this powerful delivery, and you understand like how to right how to deliver it, then even the most boring thing in the world can become the most powerful thing. Well, and the, the, what that says is, is if there's truth that you can grab onto, and that truth is best represented by one five one by like just a simple you know C G C or yeah. like a, a no like it, just keeping it really really simple. Yeah. Like, are is your pride of what that's gonna be like? going to get in the way of you presenting that because it's too simple. Exactly. And, like, I'm going to to kill this thing because it's not complex it, enough. Exactly. And, and this I, is me speaking to myself. No, you know? I used to... I, I still do that. I even... So, like, my, my, my side project, you know, like, my s- songs that I just write myself, the one thing that uh, always holds me back is I'm like, is this... Is this too boring? Like, I, I always, mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. feel like it needs to be more complex. It needs to be more impressive. And I feel like that really just kills the feeling of like of making any good art when you focus on the technical too right. much and not just on what you're trying to convey. Here's what I'm trying to do. And maybe this is good for you too because I think we're dealing with the same thing here. And here is what I am trying to work on is being like, is like just congratulating myself. Instead of like in that moment where I'm like, oh, maybe this. Instead of just being like, Hey, 
Good job for thinking that. Right. Good yeah. job for thinking, is this too boring? Mm -hmm. That's an okay thought to think, and it means that you've got all these things that you're thinking through. That's yeah. great. Good job. Um, Positive reinforcement. Now, now, you don't need to make it more complicated, but that's great that you're thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just keep going with this a little bit longer? Right. Like, and just trying to, like, tell myself that in my mind and literally say these things out loud sometimes yeah. where, like, I'll hear that voice and I'll be like, okay, good job thinking that. <laughs> Maybe this would be a boring song, but you know what? I don't know yet. So let's... Let's keep going for a little yeah, bit longer. But you're Andy. also super critical. You know, you're always super critical of yourself. Sure. Yeah. So that I feel that that thought is always comes up at a certain point. Like, even if you write this like really magnificent verse one night, mm -hmm. and then you hear it the next day, and you're like, "That sucked." Yep. Oh, exclusively. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, it happens to me all the time, and it's one of those things where, like. It, You'll, you need to sort of trudge through those feel, like the feelings of this is boring, I'm going to stop. Because once you, once you get to a point where you like, have accepted it and just keep <coughs> on working through it, then that's when like, the real creative... Absolutely. I mean, and you can have times when you're playing something and it feels good. Like it feels good on your hands, like the yeah. way that you're playing something guitar. Yes. And then when you listen to it not playing it, you're like, oh, without actually making the action, like it just felt cool yeah. it doesn't sound cool or vice versa yeah. like that sounds really cool but when i was playing it, i was really bored because it was so you know accessible and because or... you can do it like right. one of the things about playing guitar is like once you get to the point where you can do like you know you can do like a, a sweet sweet solo or you know you so can sweet. play just the sweetest just the solo, sweetest solo. Yeah, the sweetest. or you can play like you know like uh, uh, elliot's uh, like uh, i i personally i, I studied a lot of elliot's songs and i like, mm -hmm. tried to learn them but once I learned them, I was like, oh, it's not that hard. No. And, and even though it is, like, it's hard. Is, it's incredibly hard. But like, until uh, but you've got until it. Until I have it. And, yeah. then, and then I'm like, wow, that's not good enough anymore. Mm -hmm. And so you search for the next thing. But when you think about it, you're like, if I put this out into the world, I'm fairly certain that most people would be like, wow, like, right. that's really good, man. So good this job. is a conversation that keeps coming up in this podcast is eventually you're going to like there's stuff that you wrote. Anything that you wrote, that you put out, there was probably a point at which you thought that it was the tightest shit that you ever created. And you're probably, 99% of that, you now are at the point where you're like, that was garbage. What I'm making now is the tightest shit. Like saying, you like, will, yeah. I will always do that. So stop basing my value of myself and the value of what I'm creating off of that arbitrary thing. Right. Like, just create. And, and be okay with, like, knowing, like, I I'm trying to think right now, like, playing something that's my favorite song, I'm just like, man, I'm going to hate this later now. Mm. Like, that's my new thought, because then I'm, like, I'm not full of myself on that stuff, too, right. you know? Yeah. I'm just kind of like, oh, man, I'm going to be so bored with this in a year. <laughs> but, yeah, like you said, you can't avoid you can't yeah. avoid it, just because just play with it. your art is, is always going to be as dynamic as you are. Mm -hmm. And... As you get better, the things in your past are just going to seem simpler and simpler. Yeah. And that's the way, that's, I don't think I've ever heard of any band that's put out, you know, like four or five records been like, you know what, our first record was the best record we ever made. Mm -hmm. Because it's just, it's super unlikely that your, your the, the best thing you ever made is going to be the first yeah, thing it you might be the, the most well received. Maybe, yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's probably going to be your favorite. Exactly. Or what, what you consider to be like your best work. Absolutely. Dude, I'm excited to hear what you guys keep making. You have yeah. some show. You have like a 
bunch of shows. I know you're playing Fisherman's Village. We're playing, yeah, we're fi- Fisherman's Village. Which uh, is tight. Fisherman's Fest, which mm-hmm. is Brad. Um, in Everett. In, up in Everett. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really cool. We're doing, we have March 17th with the Haulers and Dreamcatchers for their CD release show, and then we go on tour. Yes. Is that the one that's got the poster that's the It Was Lit fam thing? The uh, Maybe. I think so, or something maybe, like that. Maybe Dreamcatcher put that up. Yeah. yeah. I saw the whole thing on Facebook, and yeah. I was like, that's pretty tight. There's some, yeah, that's... I, like, I, I appreciate it when people put out good stuff for the yeah. promotion. It's so, fun. Yeah, it's fun. Cool. So that one, where's that one at? Uh, that's going to be at the Sunset. Cool. Yeah. Dude, favorite venue right now. Yeah. Just yeah. love it. Just can't get enough of the Sunset. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I like the way that they made the partition. It like, really separates. Mm-hmm. They just also replaced the old soundboard that was in there. So they took oh, the really? soundboard from the Tractor Tavern and put it in there and because they got a new one at the Tractor. Really? And it sounds so great. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I like, I mean, everything about that. I, I always feel like I hear, uh, if I go to a show or I play a show there at Sunset, always killer job. Killer. Really great job. Um, but then after that, so we come back from tour and then we're playing, I don't know if it's announced yet, but we're playing. It's about to be. We're playing Numos. Uh, mm. We're playing Numos with a couple of bands. I'm really stoked for that one. That's like, you always kind of feel like these achievements, little achievements, and cool. like playing Numos stage, playing Crocodile, those are always like. Yeah. Have you played Numos before? I have with a couple of different bands right. before this. Um, and then there's one, there's one party that we can't announce quite yet, but. But it's gonna be good. But yeah, there's there's a yeah a party that we're really really excited about. Nice. So that's gonna be dude. The- I like that it's a party, and I like that you're referring to it as such. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I'm gonna be at that for sure. Yeah. So cool. Cool man, dude. Well, thanks for coming out. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It was that I I was a little bit nervous, and then and then I realized that we were just talking, and then just talking. and then I found out that it was on the whole time. So I was like, oh, actually, just okay. It's, it's more of this. You were already doing it. Yeah, yeah. We were cool. Just, we started doing it. Did you feel like you had any stuff that you wanted to say that you were like, oh, I really want to make sure I talk about this thing, but you didn't like get a chance to or something? Um, no. I cool. Mean, no. That's tight. Well. I'm going to see you around a bunch. I mean, I guess I really wanted to ask you about your band, but I don't know if that's eh. the right place to talk about. People hear about it all the time. I talk about it. It's <laughs> like, yeah. cover it up. Uh, yeah, I'll tell Off you about it Off the record. Later. Off the record. It's great. It's the best. Bears and Other Carnivores. I love the name, first of all. It's but fun. It's, like, it's just, it's a cool and the band. Yeah. Because, because you get, you know, like, Hoagie and the Sticks or whatever. Sure, and sure. Like, that's great. But Bears and Other Carnivores is like a sentence. Yeah. Which is, I just, I love it. I love the name. It's fun. It was from a, so we were over at my buddy, uh, Jonathan Keen, my best friend, and we were up in Anacortis. He's been doing a bunch of stuff with Van Dusen, um, who is of the Lonely Forest previously, putting out some new music pretty soon. Um, And we were just like recording some demos like a while ago. And there was like a time book uh, that was called Bears and Other Carnivores and had this really tight grizzly bear on the top of it and we had a different name that we didn't love that we were just kind of acting under and brian our bass player was like dude that should be our name that should be the band name and we were just like yeah okay cool that that can be a whole segment is picking out a band name absolutely you got the shins like yeah so yeah ours came from from the shins oh and i I mean i don't know if we're out of time but like a really cute story was when the when we went on tour for the record release the first show we played was down in portland Mm mm-hmm and we played with this really rad band called Focus Focus. Mm. We were, like, really pumped for the show because the day before, uh, the Portland Mercury or something put out, like, a little article about it. And we didn't realize this at the time, but then, like, that day, we found out that in Focus Focus, the drummer um, 
the drummer for that band is actually Jesse Sandoval, who is the original drummer for the shoots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we were like <laughs> super, super nervous because we're about to go play a show using the band name from a song that he had, he had recorded. Yeah. And so... You know, we got to the, we got to the show. We played our set. You should have pretended you didn't know the and, band. And who are the Shins? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't who know they? who they are. <laughs> and and like we saw Jesse like in like in you know the audience kind of just like looking at us, and we're like, God, I hope he I hope he doesn't think we suck. Like, <laughs> he's gonna hate that we took the name. And uh, you know, it turned out okay. He was like, he he came up afterwards. He's like, you know what? Like, great. Like. Good job. You nice. guys killed it. So it was like, that's all I want. All right, man. Like, Thanks. Oh. Yeah, but oh yeah, but when he first came up to us, the he the first thing he said was he was he was splitting drums with with Dan. So mm-hmm. they got to talk a little bit. But the first thing he said to him was, "So I gotta ask." And that's and that's all. <laughs> yeah. and Dan Dan like turned like 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 plum plum purple. Yeah. Was like, yeah, that was uh, yeah. We took that name from you. Yeah, we took that. Yeah. Yes. So the, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And we just let, you know, we got it over with very quickly. Sure. It's like running into somebody and then realizing they're dating somebody that you used to date or something like yeah. that. It's just like, oh, is this awkward? I don't think it is. Do we want to make it awkward? No. I don't no, think we're going to make it awkward. Yeah, we'll be cool. We'll, we'll be cool. cool. It's yeah. a good name. I like your name, too. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. it's a, that, That's a whole other segment of some other days, picking out band names and how you should do it. It's a... Yeah, it's a, it's an art. It's hard to do. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool, dude. Well, I like this. I feel good about this. Cool. Thanks, yo. Cheers. Yeah, buddy. Bye.